they may be small in number due to a lack of food or uh, infighting amongst them. Classic reason for empires to fall. Uh, why aren't there more giants? There aren't enough people to eat. <laughs> I ran out of Englishmen. Live from the Mundangerous Exploding Castle in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 281 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to use giants in your game. But first, the party puts a history of breaking and entering to good use in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Stone's Throw kills two birds and more in the Character Creation Forge. So this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press and Tome of Beasts 2, which is now available on the Kobold Press store. The publisher of the original smash hit Tome of Beasts, Kobold Press, has wrangled a new horde of wildly original, often lethal, and highly entertaining 5th edition compatible monsters to challenge new players and veterans alike. So Tome of Beasts 2 brings 400 new monsters to 5th edition from Angelic Enforcers Sasquatch and Shriekbats to psychic vampires, zombie dragons, and much more. In addition to the Tome of Beasts hardcover volume and PDFs, you can get monster pawns, virtual tabletop versions, and monster lairs with beautiful maps at your favorite VTT platform of choice. So find out more at cobaltpress.com and tell them DSPN sent you. All right, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in the austere capital city of Karnath, Korth, the party is chasing a killer. Deep beneath the city, they are trapped in an arcane laboratory surrounded by magical artillery. They've successfully deactivated the automatons, but now the remains have begun to overload. So Switch the Paladin grabs a small glowing piece of machinery and tosses it at the far wall where it explodes with tremendous impact. And all the remaining pieces begin to glow even more brightly. So they try to use the reagent passphrase that opened the door in the first place, but nothing happens when they utter it. Lenore, who uh, has cracked many a safe in her time, realizes that locks can't usually be opened from inside the safe. So Bramble thinks quickly, casts Dimension Door, and teleports outside, where he uses the passphrase again. This time, it opens the door. The party grabs the loose papers from the base of the spire and run for cover, just as the arcane remains overload and a huge explosion tears through the passage just behind them. When the smoke clears, they carefully re-enter the chamber. The tools have all disintegrated, but the room itself is unscathed, except for the panel at the base of the spire that they had ripped off. Lenore examines it, and Zan confirms that only the security system has been damaged. The rest of it should probably actually work. So the party spreads out the papers to reveal a set of schematics for the spire itself. It's a teleportation circle located directly below the Tower of the Twelve, the floating ziggurat that contains the greatest magical secrets of the 12 dragon-marked houses. There's a diagram of the tower, and it has 13, not 12, floors, as is commonly thought. The teleportation circle, however, is incomplete. According to the schematics, it requires a massive Sybaris shard, which will sit in the empty cradle atop the spire. Lenore knows that Sybaris shards come mostly from Zendrik, and that means it's likely the shipment that Elaine was expecting that is due in the city in a month's time. Now, since circles don't normally require Sybaris shards to work, the party speculates that this one may be constructed for access to a single destination, the Tower of the Twelve. Sybaris shards are attuned to dragon marks, so this particular portal is likely built solely to bypass the wards that the dragon-marked houses have put in place. As for why Elaine, the Mind Seed, would want to get inside the Tower of the Twelve, that remains a mystery. <laughs> and as why a enterprising party of adventurers would want to get inside the Tower <laughs> of the Twelve, too. Well, I think that's obvious. To protect them, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. We're, we did it for you. We're here for your own good. And uh-huh. we would expect a little bit of a, I don't know, payment Gratitude. or at least thanks. 
and we'll find out what happens next next week So this week, we are continuing our series on using iconic monsters, and we're talking about using giants. Stories of huge people are some of the oldest myths on the planet. You got David and Goliath, you got Greek giants, you got the Norse Jotun. Um, Also, some of the earliest creatures that children end up hearing about in fairy tales are, you know, giants, big, dumb, lumbering giants who live in the sky. They are often antagonists. They're large, lumbering, slow-witted, and cruel. Uh, They really like, you know, the bones of an Englishman. I mean, who doesn't? Delicious. It's, mmm, this tastes like anemia. But they don't have to be this way, of course. Uh, D&D, for one, has done a good job of at least differentiating different types of giants. They have all have, like, varying personalities and abilities. I mean, not, not individual giants, right? D&D giants are like, <laughs> all fire giants are the same, but at least there are different kinds of giants. Right. And, of course, they were the primary threat in a long line of modules throughout history, including, of course, the classic Against the Giants. So it's important here to remember... Like what sets giants apart from a lot of other creatures like dragons or undead is that giants are mortal. Even if you're playing with like immortal giants like Greek titans or something like that, you know, or Empyreans, they're going to have mortal proclivities, right? They might have a magical nature or be elemental or something like that or live in a fairy tale castle in the clouds, but they have fundamentally the same desires, needs, and concerns as real humans. They're just a lot bigger than humans. Yeah, what changes for giants ultimately is their viewpoint, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, they live above everybody else and look down upon them, which gives them their sense of superiority. And being bigger and stronger than everyone else might mean that they easily resort to violence. So this is a common characterization, and also the reverse of that, right, flipping it uh, on its head is also pretty common as well. So giants are understandable and relatable monsters. Everybody knows someone who abuses their power or who is at least tempted to abuse their power. All right, so let's get started. First things first, you gotta define your giants. What are you dealing with? What's the mythos of your giants? Yeah, a couple of ways you can go with this. Um, the traditional route would be mythological giants. They're creatures of great strength, um, but they come in a lot of different forms. They could be misshapen beasts. They could have godlike stature and power and be amazing and beautiful. Uh, in a lot of myths, giants are the ones who built the world in the first place or, you know, died and became part of the world. Chinese myth has like the first man Pangu, who sort of emerged from the void of nothingness and then, you know, built the world and then he dies. And, you know, as is typical, his breath becomes the wind, his blood becomes the rivers, his, you know, bones become uh, minerals and mountains and all that. They are more likely in mythology to be singular creatures rather than an actual society, right? They're demigods or monsters or victims of a curse, but they are not a civilization. You ever wonder, like, uh, you know, giants with, like, a bunch of heads and, like, horrible appendages or, you know, I'm a cyclops and I got one eye. You ever think they're like, man, you know, my dad was Poseidon, too, and I could have been one of the pretty demigods. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, giants usually exist to be avoided uh, or to explain away phenomena. Like, why is the land blighted? Giants are not so great for agriculture. Right. <laughs> Um, like, why are there so many lakes here? It's because a, a giant was here previously, um, and you know their footprints filled in with with water later. This this can be in your game either you know the myths about a, a place to sort of give more information about a culture that lives there, but it can also just be true, right? Like, why uh, don't we go to the land on the other side of this great chasm? It's because there are giants there, and terrible things happen. Right. They can also just straight up be an antagonistic race of creatures, right? Like the Norse frost giants. Uh, They are in some way anathema to civilization. They're usually some sort of metaphor for savagery in the wilderness. Giants also aren't something that can just be wiped out, right? Like individuals can be defeated, but there will always be more giants. Yeah, I think this is especially common when you're dealing with like giants inspired by by metaphor or nature or something like that right like they are supposed to be an embodiment of you know the cold north wind that's what frost giants are right and the the creeping ice there's no way that you can ever completely defeat them that would mean defeating winter itself right you can also 
uh, have giants in your game, they're basically like fantasy humans, right? They're just a race of very large people. You can have, you know, bird people and lizard people. Why is it so weird if you just have people people, but they all happen to be 12 or 20 feet tall, right? Um, Gulliver had uh, Brobdingnagians. Jewish mythology has the Nephilim who are like kind of divine, but also maybe just really tall people. They're going to act similarly to humans, uh, except, you know, everything is bigger. It's scaled up. They'll have larger houses, a society, an outsized impact on the world around them. Yeah. Think about like if you're including giants, why? If they're just fantasy humans, why do you have them here? And they're they're just larger, right? Like there's usually some sort of story element there. They are larger because they have an outsized impact on people around them or they have outsized personalities or or the opposite of that right like in Gulliver's travels like the giants are the ones who have the the largest hearts they are the kindest ones as opposed to like the lilliputians who are you know venal and selfish because they are literally little people mm-hmm. but you're going to need some sort of explanation as to why they're not running the world right if they have an actual society and a country full of giants and you know they have civilizations and they, they can get along and they're not just like throwing rocks at each other like idiots Mm, why aren't they in charge? Because they're bigger and stronger. Usually it's because there's some sort of like ancient race that suffered a cataclysm. Um, this, this ties in with the mythology of giants sort of creating the world or like dying out and then becoming the world. They may be small in number due to a lack of food or uh, infighting amongst them. Classic reason for empires to fall. It's, it's very Malthusian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, why aren't there more giants? There aren't enough people to eat. <laughs> I ran out of Englishmen. A lot of times you find simple-mindedness will be the common reason that uh, that giants don't take over the world, right? Is there, um, they're human-ish, but they're not quite as smart. They're too predatory or too instinctual to really grow and dominate in that kind of way. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense if they're like elemental in nature, you know, like I I am a metaphor for fire or or cold, so I probably have less impulse control. You do though, if your giants are like very human like, you do want to make sure that you are not bringing in um like negative stereotypes about you know, people who are larger because that's sort of a a common one, right? Like, oh, you're a large person and therefore you're not very bright because you can't have all good qualities. Mhm. You can also not have humanoid-looking giants. Your giants can just be like sapient kaiju, depending on what kind of game you're playing. You're playing a Descent in a Midnight game. It makes perfect sense that uh, your character or you have an entire you know race of uh, very intelligent whales or um, you know a, a giant uh, colony of jellyfish uh, the size of a mountain. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you can easily have large creatures and smaller creatures coexisting right um they have a natural symbiosis right the way that a a, a whale shark and a uh and a remora might yeah i think actually water worlds are a really good place for this kind of play right like um gravity matters less um three-dimensional movement is less difficult so like those height discrepancies uh matter a lot less Obviously, cyberspace, virtual worlds, um, you know, eclipse phase, simul spaces, anything where it's not actually real. You know, a person a person can be literally anything. I'm I'm the talking apartment building, whatever. We play Lancer and Jim's character is is the size of an apartment building and other people are like seven feet tall and it works fine. Right. We just sometimes climb up the side of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you can play an Iron Giant game. Why not? Or use him for cover. Right. <laughs> um, think about like Paul Bunyan folk tales. This happens a lot. If you look at the Paul Bunyan stories, like part of the humor of them, part of the story is like, oh, he walked around in Minnesota and his footprints made the 10,000 links or like, man, he eats giant flapjacks. But or oh, his bed's not big enough. But like you don't really get into the nitty gritty of like. How is it possible for a man who's the, the height of 64 axe handles to physically exist? It's not possible. <laughs> it's a square cube law problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then we could also have D&D giants, right? Just as written. Um, 
they're common enough that players will likely be familiar with them or at least with some of their tropes. Yeah, so even if you're not playing D&D, even if you're not using these kinds of giants, it's good to know about them or to be aware of them because that's probably the baggage that your players are bringing to the table. So it's, it can also just be a useful backdrop. You can use some of it, but not all of it. And this is like hill giants and frost giants, fire, stone, cloud, and storm giants, all of whom have different alignments and they live in different terrain and they have different abilities. and Like they, a cast system. Right, yeah. They mostly don't like each other. All right, so let's talk about physiology. I already mentioned it a little bit before, but you know, people might ask, how are they so large? Why are they so large? Usually it's just easiest to ignore this. Um, you know, a god did it. Uh, racial variation. Mm-hmm. Magic. But their largeness means that there's something about them that's going to be different from a human being. Is that food intake? You know, do they need to eat 10 times as much? Uh, like a Saiyan? <laughs> Uh, is their skin a lot tougher? Uh, and then how does that affect like things like armor class or you know resistance to piercing damage or things like that? Think about how giants are going to affect the landscape around them, right? Uh, are they going to hew entire forests in order to build their homes? Um, are they going to, you know, uh, when they dig a moat around their castle, uh, will it be the size of a raging river? Yeah, and maybe this is intentional or not, right? They are stronger and likely tougher than normal people. They could be orders of magnitude stronger and tougher. Do they know their own strength? Like, are they just, are they building this moat to change the landscape or are they just building a moat because that's what you do and I got to protect myself from other giants and like, oh, turns out I created a new delta system. Uh, Think about what harms them. Often it'll just be the same kinds of things that harm humans, but you need a lot more of it, right? You need a lot of poison. Um, you need a lot of sharp pointy spears. You need a nuclear warhead. But sometimes, at least in the stories, giants will have some sort of weakness. Um, I mean, that might be that they're easily tricked. It might be that they they trip over things or right, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. It could be that their largeness makes them easy targets um, or... Or was it in Jack the Beanstalk, right? Like falling to the ground? Yeah. De- definitely kills him because he's so giant. Um, could also just be that they only have one eye, you know? Like that that's a pretty big detriment no matter how big you are. They lack depth, literally. Yeah. Got to get the uh, redundancy. Uh, but remember that they will likely be able to under to withstand environments that people can't simply from being so much tougher. Um, maybe the cold or the sun or you know, even space uh, affects them less or takes longer to affect them. And then keep in mind that giants and and megafauna in general don't exist in a vacuum. So if there are giant people, there are probably other giant creatures or giant plants, right? There is probably an environment that is scaled in such a way that it supports giants. So what does that look like for normal, you know, average-sized humans walking through. Yeah, like, Babe the Blue Ox exists. It stands to reason that Babe the Blue Ox exists because Paul Bunyan exists. Uh, Is there an entire herd of giant blue oxen? I I don't know. But it would be cool to run into in a game. Right. Giant things, larger creatures, also tend to have larger, uh, longer lifespans. So... Giants in general or, you know, your giant-sized megafauna are often going to be longer-lived. Think about how that affects the society, how that affects an individual giant, um, especially when it, like, conflicts with the whole, like, dim-witted trope. This giant might be, like, 500 years old. It doesn't matter how slow-witted you might think they are. They've got a long lifespan to tap into and many experiences. They probably know more about most things than you do. Right. And then decide which legends are true. Uh, like, what what are true facts of, of giants versus, you know, what are the legends that exist about giants that might not be true, even if they're firmly held beliefs? Yeah, this is my favorite thing. You go into uh, the tavern to collect rumors. Every peasant in town knows so much about giants. The question is how much of any of that is actually true. <laughs> right, exactly. What's what's usable information versus rumor? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about world building and putting giants in your setting. 
think about where they fit. Like literally, where do they fit in your setting? Uh, do giants just walk around next to like regularly sized humanoids like you might in Sigil where, you know, every like spatial reasoning is always just a little bit off? Uh, or are they removed from society in some way, either by space because they live in a far off place or in a different plane or at the top of a beanstalk or by time because they had, you know, an ancient civilization that's, uh, that has since been crumbling. Uh, think about like the giants on, on Zendrik in Eberron. Uh, how do they feel about their current power structure? Uh, if they're not in charge, why aren't they? And do they want to be, you know, do they still have that old instinct of, of a need to rule? And if they do want to be, how are they going to go about doing that? Is it just the, does it just manifest itself as like an orneriness and a willingness to fight anyone they come across? Like, you know, the traditional hill giant, or are they more like your traditional storm giant who's sort of above the fray, but thinking, you know, plotting and carefully planning? Are they an insulated society? Um, do do they have a lot of experience with non-giant sized creatures? Um, or do they have their own society versus like being like a, a wander a, a random wandering monster who happened to be like birthed from a demigod? If they have their own society, there will be cultural differences between them and the like uh, the humanoid sized uh, cultures. Some of those differences will be related to size. Uh, in terms of like the way that they interact with the world and other people. But a lot of them aren't going to be. They'll just be actual cultural differences from like where you live in the world or history. And then also ask yourself, does this matter? Like in, in a certain kind of game, it really might not matter that one PC is four times taller than another, you know? And, and so you have to ask yourself as you do this world building, are you doing the world building in order to characterize giants in a way that makes them more useful for your game, more exciting for your players, or are you doing it just to check a box and give a reason that giants still exist? You got to have giants. Harry Potter said there were giants. Right. <laughs> well, that there were half giants. Um, it reminds me of like uh, Robotech where, you know, oh, you're fighting the Zentradi, these invading aliens. And then, you know, they're always on these view screens because you're in spaceships. And then finally, when you meet face to face, like they're they're giants. They're huge. Like you fit in their the palm of their hand. And nobody's realized this before. And like it kind of didn't matter because you're still sort of like falling in love with the villain. Because, you know, space is really, really big. And compared to that, giants are wet. All right. So let's talk about using giants as NPCs first. A lone giant is a challenge to overcome. And the traditional ways to deal with a giant are trickery, like Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, combat, like against the giants, or escape. Uh, it's a very um, Odysseus kind of way to handle a giant. Right. So which one of these is actually going to work well is going to depend on the kind of giant that uh, you have already created. And if you're a player, you know, what kind of giant are you facing? Uh, this might be a good time for knowledge checks. So from an NPC perspective... What have this giant's interactions with small folk been like? It probably hasn't been told no too often, but maybe has been deceived or lied to or mistreated uh, or attacked. Uh, might have some baggage from that. Uh, nasty Trixie Hobbitses. I'm an elf. All the same to me. I, I can't tell. What does a giant need that the PCs can help with? Right. Well, like a, what? A rod of seven parts. <laughs> <laughs> I really need one of those right now. Also, I'm hungry, but uh, what what is it that they can accomplish that it can't? Right, give give some something that the party is going to be able to latch onto, so that parlay is a possibility, so that it's not necessarily straight up just going to be a combat every single time they run into a giant. Is it something delicate that the giant isn't able to accomplish because like literally their hands are just too big? Is it something underground, which is harder for a giant to get to because the tunnel's got to be that much bigger and it's just easier for it to collapse? Uh, maybe it's something technological. The giant isn't very good at that. Um, maybe like human metalworking or artifice is better. Although remember, it can also be the opposite, right? Giants are often portrayed as uh, skilled artisans. Mm -hmm. uh, even if your giant isn't old themselves, uh, their society usually is. So 
think what information, what lore, what magic, uh, what items and artifacts might giant society make available um, that would allow, you know, an excuse for PCs to ingratiate themselves. Yeah, to get outside the mindset of the giant being, you know, a huge sack of hit points bruiser challenge. Obviously, it can be, and you know that that can be an, an interesting combat fighting something that's really large, jumping on it, and and all those sorts of things. But you know, give the the giant more personality based on the world building that you've been doing. When the party meets the giants, um, probably probably they're not going to be an early game threat, right? Like they're probably going to meet a giant for the first time around mid level, maybe when like a single blow won't kill them outright. Um, but it can be interesting to like drop them in front of a giant, you know, early on, maybe stumble upon them um, where they think like, oh, I think that's a bear snoring in that cave. But of course, it turns out to be a giant. And then understanding like one blow will kill you. Tread carefully. Don't attack headlong. Right. Uh, think about how it feels to be in the presence of a giant. Does the ground tremble? Is their breath like the wind? Uh, what do they smell like? Are they elemental, right? Um, if so, you know, like a, a fire giant is probably going to be quite different from, say, a you know more terrestrial like stone or hill giant. Yeah, or if they're deific in some way, or you know, a, a fallen titan or something like that, then there will be some sort of aura about them. Um, you can telegraph that so that players have a better idea of like what they're up against. Um, but also it just, it's a good characterization for what the PCs themselves are going to be feeling. Like this is, this is one of those experiences in a game that doesn't really have an analog in real life. Um, so like lean pretty heavily into uh, description of the experience itself. So then keep in mind that a, a group of giants by nature defines an arc of the story even if they're non-combatants they're a force to be reckoned with <laughs> um a giant civilization is a plot device when you deploy it like you you need to lean into that right that isn't just uh the kind of thing that you leave as a one-off aside and in, in a box text narration yeah like if you want you know a big combat with lots of big bruisers a herd of dinosaurs is can accomplish the exact same thing. If you throw a large group of giants, that should mean something more. Um, is this an army marching to war? Um, you know, what is it that they want? And like, are you the only one standing in the way? Because that's a bad situation to be in. Right. The PCs should feel like they're back on their heels, right? Parlay and diplomacy are going to be paramount in these instances when you're dealing with multiple giants and not just one. You can't really just gang up on one. In fact, they can gang up on you and turn you into paste very quickly. Right. The giants may not be keen to talk. Maybe that's not what they want to do. Maybe that's not what they care about. So how do you get them to come to the table? What is it that you can offer them or at the very least pretend to offer them or, or threaten them with, right? Like what kind of giant killing weapon do you have? Well, obviously I have giants, Bane. I have a halfling, a halfling named David. I think it's important that players don't feel a sense of control, right? Like small folk don't go to giant lands and bully the giants into submission. Um, you know, even if you're using diplomacy, if you're entreating them for aid, um, giants are never, never going to let you feel like you got the advantage. Yeah, like... Even even if you've like had that awkward handshake where you know you're using both your hands to try to grasp like just the front tip of you know a giant's finger to like seal a deal, that doesn't mean that at, at any moment they couldn't just decide actually I'm I'm tired of this and sure I'm I'm breaking my word but who cares you're all going to be dead. Yeah, uh, your word is only as good as your ability to enforce it. Right, you roll up in front of like um, the Frost King's throne and start making demands like you're going to get hit by a boulder from half a mile away. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how many hit points you have. It's going to hurt. Also giants may have minions. Like we said before, giant animals uh, should be certainly a thing. Like why wouldn't they have domesticated animals? 
there could be, you know, humanoids who have sworn fealty to them. And those could be humanoids at any level, right? Dwarves are, are often um, like subject to uh, giant rulers, but, you know, you can just have, you know, groups of humans or elves who are like, who understand that it's much better to sort of give a certain amount of your produce to the giants every year than to have to fight giants. You might also have automatons, especially if giants in your setting have that sort of um, artisan kind of quality about them. No reason they couldn't have, you know, used some ancient magic or use some, um, you know, critical technology in order to animate uh, machinery. And I also like the characterization of giants as having some sort of tie to fey creatures. Um, you get this a lot from fairy tales. You know, there's like a a trick or some some sort of um, discussion or thing that they they want from you, right? They're they're more like a puzzle to be solved than like a big sack of hit points, um, and. And they are more wily and full of trickery themselves. So it makes a lot of sense to me that certain kinds of giants uh, would be allied with, allied with like fae, maybe even like unseelie fae. But if you do get into combat, and of course you probably will get into combat, giants are a great option for boss battles. Or if you want a horde of tough bruisers who are who act like pretty intelligently and can act in a coordinated fashion. They're also great as a series of bosses, right? Um, because they scale as a like group of monsters, right? You can start with hill giants and move your way up to stone giants and fire giants and storm and cloud. Um, and, and and they can they can always occupy that sort of boss phase, right? Because they're difficult to put down, um, like especially in a group uh, if. There's too many of them. They might just overwhelm you. Yeah, so you need to be careful of using too many in a combat. Slash, you need to be careful about taking on too many giants at the same time. That's going to get you killed. Uh, you do want to leverage their strength and their ability to control terrain when they when you are running them in combat. Um, the you know I always think about like uh, they don't have a weapon in hand right now. Great, they just tear down a tree and start smashing people with it. Right boulders oh no boulders around that's fine i'll just rip one out of the ground that you're standing on now there's difficult terrain and i have a huge weapon right and speaking of huge weapons i always think that with giants there should be that moment when they unveil their signature weapon which is probably just like a normal weapon but it's giant sized and you didn't necessarily know that they had it with them but you know they like pull off the the burlap right because they're they're keeping it safe and now it's a uh, it's a 12 foot long battle axe yeah, I mean, I like this. Uh, I love this concept of like, you know, at loot time, you discover uh, what you thought was a uh, a dagger in the giant's hand was actually a longsword that you can use. <laughs> uh, or, or it's a very fine weapon. It's just far too large for any of you to use. You'll need to figure out something to do with it. Right. Think about what weaknesses the giant has. Um, is it maybe mental, right? They're almost always going to be very tough and very strong, but giants will vary a lot in terms of how intelligent they are or maybe how perceptive they are at tripping the giant and getting it to fall or break something or inadvertently use its own strength is also a very common way that you take down a giant. They're generally going to rely on their hardiness to tank your mundane attacks they're they're not gonna worry too much about a few um normie sized weapons really doing much damage to their thick skin and and uh, armored hides yeah that means you can charge uh you want to make as many attacks as possible think of it like swatting at flies right the the giant is trying to deal with all of these smaller creatures they might make an attack that attacks many at once, an AOE or like a big swing of their arm, um, they might just make a lot of attacks, right? Like a, a flurry of, of swats at these at these little like annoying bugs. Or they may focus fire and say, hmm, I'm gonna, I got two hands or like, you know, a battle axe in each hand. I'm just going to hit you as many times as I possibly can and make sure you are in the ground and then move on to the next one. 
Stealth is usually rare with giants, but it can be a cool and unexpected move to use because your uh, players usually aren't going to see that coming. And then giants across the board use the environment. They'll tear up the ground to make difficult terrain. They'll pull out trees to fashion their great club. They will uh, lift boulders to throw them at you or stomp their feet to cause earthquakes. Yes, it's tropey, but like that's what people are here for. You're fighting a giant. You want it to use the iconic stuff. You want the dragon to breathe fire. You know, you you want to tell the story about surviving that. Right. That said, the if the giant isn't completely dumb, they're they're going to geek the mage because they know what they're up against with the fighter. They they're pretty sure that they can you know take the physical punishment. Who knows what kind of wacky magic the wizard is dealing with though. Right. And then because of that, use the special abilities that the, your particular giant has. If it's artifice, then give them really good weapons and armor or, you know, the ability to build uh, automatons or um, use like, you know, artifice or magic. Uh, if they're a, a giant who has some sort of divination abilities, which is often common, um, then give them an ability to, you know, foresee an attack or um, prophecy the end of this fight or something like that. If they're an elemental giant, use that. Fire giants should use a lot of fire. Frost giants should use a lot of cold. Titans should use deific power in, in some manner. Maybe, you know, like words of power or calling down lightning from the sky. And then, uh, always the caveat, the best tactics for a memorable fight might be different from the best tactics for the giant themselves. So, uh, remember, what is the purpose of this battle? Is it to absolutely trounce your players? Is it to put them in their place as the small folk that they are? Or is it to set up a, um, you know, a, a puzzling or a, like story worthy, you know, memorable kind of experience for the players to fight this puzzle and overcome it and um, solve the challenge of the 30 foot tall monster? Yeah. What, what does a giant usually have that most other creatures don't? A very high walking speed. Yeah. <laughs> they could just leave, but that's a boring fight. Right. All right, so what if you were a PC who's playing a giant or, you know, something like a giant? Well, you're probably huge. Or at least, you know, half giant, oversized. Right, if everyone's really big, then you're just playing a normal game, but in like a, a diminutive universe. Most likely, you're trying to figure out how you're interacting with everyday objects that are sized for humans. Um do you accidentally crush them? Uh, do Is there no way for you to stand or sit? Is it difficult for you to maneuver? Do you need to be careful not to like knock over walls? Um, how does the rest of your party adapt things for you or adapt to you? Um, I always love love the idea, right? We said Iron Giant before, like some party members just ride on your shoulder. Also, keep in mind, if you are a giant PC, you are probably the only giant PC, and you are probably not starting your adventure, at least, in giant lands. So um, you should know, like, are you the toughest giant, or do you only appear that way? Are you exemplary for giant folk, or are you sort of run-of-the-mill or even below average? And is that in all abilities or just the ones that giants traditionally value you know not wisdom and intelligence but strength and constitution yeah and are you the toughest one in the party like if you're a giant mage then sure you're naturally tough um but you haven't been training to do that and so if the the tank pc over here may be small but might be able to take a lot more punishment than you mm -hmm. uh, however it might be that you're targeted first because everyone's like oh no they have a giant kill the giant <laughs> right no, seriously, I'm wearing robes. Can't you? I have. I like books. And then, I mean, maybe that's reason enough. But think about the reason you're traveling with this group of adventurers and not your own kind. Is it that you like books too much and you will be harassed by the rest of the giants if you travel with them? I didn't realize that all of our enemies would geek the giant mage, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess they they have good tactics. You can also play a PC who is giant adjacent. Um, in fantasy, this would be like a Goliath, sometimes called half giants, um, 
or dwarves uh, often have a, a difficult history with giants, um, or you get giant kin like you know a troll um, or an etten, or you know all kinds of different slightly larger than average human size PCs. Right. Think about what your legacy is with giants. Um, are you related to them in some way? Is it a a cultural thing? Do people just confuse you for a giant because they don't know any better? And then consider what do you owe giants, true giants? Do you owe them fealty? Is that the tradition of your society? Um, do you owe them vengeance? Uh, is that in line with or against other members of your, you know, giant adjacent group? As for magic and magic items, obviously there are things like belts of giant strength. But the thing I always think of is in order to make one of those, what kind of material components do you need? Well, you is need it a, a dead lot, giant? A lot of leather. <laughs> oh yeah, babe, blue leather from uh-huh. some sort of creature. Yeah, or flannel leather from some other kind of creature. <laughs> uh, magic items that let you change size um, are going to be very useful if you want to fight giants. If you want to maybe. Uh, be able to meet giants eye to eye to be better at parlaying with them. Or if you want to be a giant who just wants to be able to sort of pass incognito. Right. Runes are often uh, commonly associated with giants. That seems to be how the magic usually manifests itself in a lot of games. Um, But you can harness the power of runes without necessarily uh, needing to know a giant. The question is, how will a giant feel about that? Um, and then keep in mind, there are items that kill giants, right? There are giant bane items. And there are also items that control giants, like elemental control. Yeah, the only thing better than a dead giant is a giant who does what you tell them to do. That's spoken like a true lich. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I <laughs> I sacrifice sent souls of sapien creatures very rarely, not nearly often enough to become a... A lich. I, good sir, am a demi-lich. All right, so I feel like pretty much everyone has either used giants or come up against giants uh, in their games before. If nothing else, you've just, you know, run through a module. And of course, there are going to be giants there, giant kin. Trolls are always low-level puzzle monsters that you end up facing. Yeah, we had a giant theme adventure uh, in 5th edition, right? Storm King's Thunder. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is like inspired by against the giants right which was Mm -hmm. basically just like a straight up dungeon crawl against huge monsters right but i think they're really popular because you know they're tropey and people know them and they know them from stories and they like to tell stories about them but you can characterize them so much more than you typically get in um an rpg game and i think that can help make the the game that you're playing and the stories that you end up telling in your game much more memorable because like after a while all the giant stories sort of like blend together and you're like what happened oh it was big and we were scared and then he threw a rock in a tree at us uh and then we ran up on its back and we stabbed it in the neck and it died as you do as you do and like do, do that do everyone should have that story because it's a cool story but after a while you want to start mixing things up so that it doesn't get dull all right, do you hear that, Ishan? Yep, just wait about an hour and a half for that giant to finish falling and hit the ground. Well, when he gets there, he's going to wreck our workshop, and we're going to have to move on to the character creation forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, Ishan. So what are we building this week? This week we're building Stone's Throw. And what is Stone's Throw? (laughs) Of course, one of the tropes of giants is that they like to throw big boulders and If you could pick up big boulders, wouldn't you also want to throw them? Indeed, I would. Indeed, I would. 
throwing contests, throw them at uh, the fellowship, trying to make it through the past and force them to go into the mines of Moria. Stone's Throw uh, also wants to play uh, with the uh, with uh, the big giants. Wants to be able to take them on head to head in their stone throwing contest, and also you know just regular fighting and punching and grappling. All right. So what's the build? It is Rune Knight Fighter 18, Deft Explorer Ranger 2. Hey, look, we're using some Tasha's variants. So we're going to start off with a Goliath because you get powerful build, which doubles your carrying capacity, which you're going to need to lift big rocks. Uh, I know it's the first time we're talking about Tasha's in the Forge, but sorry, we don't need to change any stats here. Plus two strength and plus one con are great. <laughs> Also, do need to swap out uh, the skill. Athletics proficiency is something that you want. You also get resist cold and you're acclimated to altitude, which is good if you're going to fight those giants on their own turf. One thing you will want to do, though, is swap out the giant language because you're going to get that later from fighter. Then let's start talking about fighter. If we start out with six levels, we'll get thrown, thrown weapon fighting style for javelins and Iklua. Yeah, javelins are probably the best ones because they're so cheap for like less than the cost. So easy to say. (laughs) (laughs) For the cost of less than one rapier, you can have like twenty javelins. So Mm -hmm. like, who cares if they don't return to you? Just pick them up or pick them up later. later. Right, twenty rounds of combat. If you run out of javelins, you got problems. Yeah, Uh, the yikwa is one handed in one d eight, and you can throw it ten feet. So like, why the heck? not have it right right second win action surge and starting at level three you can make yourself large size for one minute proficiency bonus times per day that'll give you advantage on strength checks and saving throws and once per round you'll do an extra d6 damage because you're so big you'll also get uh two runes to choose from and the ones i would go with are starting off with frost which gives you advantage on animal handling and intimidation meh but also gives you a plus two to strength and con saving throws and checks, uh, which is, I mean, check with your GM on like what a rock throwing contest is going to be mechanically, but like of it's got to involve a, a strength or con saving throw or check. Uh, right. Uh, and then cloud, which will give you advantage on sleight of hand and deception. Uh, and you can swap the target of an attack once per round, which is just, straight up an amazing ability there's no save or anything someone within 30 feet of you gets hit with an attack and you just decide that someone else gets hit with that attack instead right uh then with your asi of course you'll take tavern brawlers you can pick up boulders and use them effectively yeah uh, you are proficient in them it's kind of a mess in terms of the rules in like throwing boulders and if it's not actually like a weapon then it's only 1d6 damage and you can only throw it 20 feet like just ask your gm hey how do i throw boulders and then this build is able to do it in whatever fashion you need it to be done all right then we will take two levels of ranger and i see that we're leaning into the new options in tasha's to get the good ranger or at least the <laughs> playable one yeah you'll take deft explorer you only get the uh, first level ability but who cares because that's expertise uh, normally, what would we do if we needed expertise in only one level, Shane? <laughs> we would go rogue. Of course we would. But mm, Ranger fits a, fits a little better here. I like it. You can get uh, expertise expertise in athletics, which makes you really good at grappling. And remember, grappling is size dependent. So when you are the size of a giant, you can now grapple those giants with the best of them. You'll get a favorite enemy, for which, of course, we will take giants, as well as you will get spellcasting, and you can take Hunter's Mark for a little extra chip damage on your target. Uh, And then for your fighting style, we're going to take the new option Druidic Warrior, which lets you choose two Druid cantrips. Guidance is going to be one, because if you need uh, an extra boost on the grapple check or you're, you know, doing some sort of uh, contest for rock throwing, that'll give you an extra D4. And then... Mold Earth is a nice one, but you might want to take Magic Stone, depending on what your uh, GM says rock throwing is. If it comes down to it and you're not allowed to rip boulders out of the ground or you're not in rocky terrain, you can take three pebbles, cast Magic Stone on them, and pitch them three times as far as an improvised weapon, and they're still going to do just about as much damage, and you're still a rock thrower. (laughs) Pitch three Magic Pebbles. (laughs) 
Uh, from there, we will finish out the remaining 18 levels of fighter. At uh, level 7, we'll take another rune. That will be Hill Giant, uh, which gives advantage to poison, uh, advantage to saves first poison, or to resist the poison condition. Uh, and we will resist physical damage for one minute. Runic Shield lets you force a reroll. Uh Proficiency bonus times per day. The only issue to watch out here for is that they have to use the second roll. So if you're trying to turn a hit into a miss, there's a possibility you turn a hit into a crit. Right. So just be careful. You get indomitable to reroll saves. At level 10, your extra damage jumps to a D8, and you'll pick up another rune. Storm is probably a good option here. Advantage on Arcana, and then you can grant advantage or disadvantage on a roll. And one thing you can do with that is grant yourself advantage on like a long range stone boulder attack so that you can have pinpoint accuracy even at very long distances. We'll also get two extra attacks in this uh, at 11 and 17. And then at level 15, we'll get the chance to use each rune twice per rest as well as a new rune, stone. Uh, which gives advantage on insight checks, uh, dark vision out to 120 feet, and uh, allows you to make a wisdom, uh, force a wisdom save to charm and incapacitate the target. Which just makes them a sitting duck for hitting them with your boulder. Eventually, we'll be able to action, action surge twice, and then the capstone ability, your extra damage goes to d10, and you can become huge, and your reach increases by 5 feet. All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the great way to support the show and help other people find us. If you do so, we'll read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about Gaming Hades. And in the character creation forge, we're building Zagreus. Well, that's it for episode 281 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts to choose from. You can get your favorite custom miniatures in a variety of materials, including plastic or metal, Ishan. I like metal. You know, it feels uh, it feels more real, even though it is by definition not real. What could be more real than using their easy-to-use design tool and building the perfect miniature online using fully 3D in-depth character creator right from your web browser? Look, in Q4, they've added freaking bear folk. Uh, there's like dragon heads and wings and horns and tails. And I, of course, I'm going to put them on bear folk. Uh, they've got furry body types, plant-grade and digit-grade legs, and a new piercing system. They've also added epic weapons. I don't know what that means, but it sounds epic. <laughs> I guess you have to go to Hero Forge to find out. <laughs>